Recovery Radio, KMP3, Thousand Oaks. Ah, yes. You are listening to the Recovery Radio. Podcast on KMP3. I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I will be your host. You can email me at sarcasticbigbook at gmail. You can follow me on Instagram at sarcastic.aa.book. Websites recovery radio kmp3.com and to get the books go to sarcasticbigbook.com. And as always, I am so glad you're here with me. I don't know if your day's just getting started or it's just winding down or it's somewhere right in the middle. But here we are, you and me, and I am glad for that. I'm grateful I have no desire to drink today. blend of my coffee just a fresh batch and um i tell you it's kind of ridiculous yeah that's something else well i hope you're doing great on this beautiful whatever it is for you evening morning afternoon i don't know if you're running Exercising, curl up in a ball, but I hope you're having a good, whatever it is that you're having. We're going to jump right into it, and I'm going to start where I left off in the last episode, reading from the chapter, There's a Solution, in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. I left off on page 19. Um, be the last paragraph. It's where I will start. Page 19. Of necessity, there will be there will have to be a discussion of matters medical, psychiatric, social, and religious. We are aware that these matters are, from their very nature, controversial. Nothing would please us so much as to write a book which would contain no basis for contention or argument. We shall do our utmost to achieve that ideal. Next comes a sentence that is seared into my soul. Most of us sense that real tolerance for other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and a respect for their opinions our attitudes, which makes us more useful to others. Well, once you get to step three in the big book, there's no other plot other than, you know, what can I do for God and the people around me? That's the purpose of this. That's my job. So right away when it says an attitude that is 
has real tolerance for other people's shortcomings and viewpoints, and respect for their opinions or attitudes, which make us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend on our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. It took me a long time to untangle that. I had uh, that confused with codependency and And for a long time, I just thought if anybody asked me to do anything for them, I was supposed to do it. That was being helpful. It doesn't matter if it was sane or not healthy or not spiritually sound or not. Didn't matter. If somebody was asking me for something, my job was to, you know, have constant thought of other people and how I can help meet their needs. And that's, I've come to see that you know, anything that's good for them is also good for me, or it's not good for anybody. If I'm damaging myself to help you, I don't think I'm really helping you. We can talk about this and nothing else for the rest of time, these podcasts, but you know, the book talks about this. We don't, we stand on our feet. We don't, we're not servile or scraping. We're not slave-like to anyone. And the big book very clearly to me describes the spirit of this throughout. And it's not, you know, I'm just running around killing myself to make everybody else happy. That's quite the opposite of the spirit that's described in this book to me. You may have already asked yourself why it is, why it is that <clears throat> all of us became so very ill from drinking. Doubtless you're curious to discover how and why in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. If you're an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may already be asking, what do I have to do? It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. The purpose of this book is to tell you exactly what you have to do in order to achieve that. We shall tell you what we have done before getting into a detailed discussion. It may be well to summarize some points as we see them. How many times have people said to us, I can take it or leave it alone, why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl, I should think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told him if he ever drank again, he, it would kill him, but there he is, all lit up again. Now, these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. 
we see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, though he may find it difficult and and may even seek medical attention. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. Not all alcoholics start off moderately. Not all alcoholics become continuous hard drinkers. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Here's the fellow who's been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He's real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He's seldom mildly intoxicated. He's always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world. Yet let him drink for the day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly, even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. I'll read that again. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. This isn't my take on anything. This isn't my spin on anything. It says it in plain language. The real alcoholic is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. He's the fellow that goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet early next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves. 
so we can go to work. Then comes the day we simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic, as our behavior patterns vary, but this description should identify him roughly. Why does he behave like this if hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all, with all its attendant suffering and humiliation? Why is it he takes that one drink? Here it is again. What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters. Can you believe this, what we're reading? It just goes against so much of what is passed down about what an alcoholic is and about how messed up we are independent of alcohol. <clears throat> this is information that set me free. This is information that changed my life 30 years ago. Changed my whole sobriety, unlocking the stuff. Perhaps there will never be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why, once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. That's an important sentence, too, because the big book's stance is, it doesn't matter why. We don't know. We're not going to concern ourselves with why. It doesn't matter. You're in a hole. You have to get out of the hole. Talking about why you're in the hole, learning about why you're in the hole. We could do that for the rest of your life. And it's not going to get you out of the hole. You need to get out of the hole now. Either you're an alcoholic or you're not. That's another thing that goes against so much of what has happened, where now there's a real focus on having to understand why we're alcoholics and Big books like, doesn't matter. If you are, you better do something. You need a spiritual solution. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, alcoholic can stay away from drink for months or years. He reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. <clears throat> now, I'll end today by reading something that is taken out of context more than almost anything, in my view. 
These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. <coughs> and that's what I hear so frequently taken out of context. People will say, look, I, I woke up selfish. This problem centers in my mind. Look, I didn't want to go to a meeting. The problem centers in my mind. That's not at all what they just said. What they said is, you have a twofold malady that's unique to an alcoholic. Part of it is mental, and part of it is physical. The main part of the problem is the mental part, not the physical part. All they're saying is that the allergy is not the main part of the problem, because if I don't drink, the allergy is of no consequence. Right there, in my experience, the problem and the solution become very tangled up and confused and misunderstood. But if you read this in its context, as we just, just read it, straightforward, the whole section, they're not talking about character defects or fears or selfishness. They're talking about the fact that I decide to drink. Big Book talks a lot about the different states of mind that precede a relapse, and sometimes there's stuff wrong, and sometimes there's nothing wrong. But if I keep reading, we'll get into all that. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he'll offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of a man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they're a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they're down for the count. How true this is, few realize. In a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal, but everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. The tragic truth is, if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control at a certain point. In the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. That's another thing. They talk about it a little more in the, this chapter and the next chapter, but we become alcoholics according to the big book. According to the first 164 pages. Become alcoholic. Fascinating stuff.
The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow even taking a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted by the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. If you're listening to this, you'll probably put your hand on a hot stove deliberately only once, if ever. Because no matter how long it's been, you can bring into your mind with sufficient force the memory of the suffering or the knowledge that it's hot and you shouldn't touch it. But concerning alcohol, we pass into a state during our drinking career where we lose that ability to do that. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. Often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way, and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar, and said to ourselves, for God's sakes, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink, or what's the use, anyhow. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he just needs a really good therapist, and he just needs a really good treatment center, or he just needs a really good sponsor. Just kidding. He has probably placed himself beyond human aid. And unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there had been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. And I'll read one more sentence and I'll be done. There is a solution. I want to give a shout out to a podcast greater than yourself and uh, say hello to um, Chelsea and Dave and um, say hello to Mackenzie and Tom, Tony, Richard and um, Randy with an I. he needs to hear it, I'll say everything's okay. I gotta go work on my uh, comic strip. It's like the Incredible Hulk. You know, the Incredible Hulk, he turns green. It's called the Incredible Bulk. I can't get into all, all of it right now, but it's pretty cool. So dumb. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> all right. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day or night. And I do not know why my life was saved, but I'm going to go try to live a life that was worth saving. And I hope you do the same. <laughs>